Oh yeah. Hello friends, your humble host here for the Library of Sound. These are our Gene Shepherd editions from the Library of Sound. And happy Easter to one and all. It is Easter time, and that means, you know what that means. We're celebrating Easter with Gene Shepherd. Here's a program he did on April 13th, 1968. All about an Easter dinner. This is going to be a goodie, friends. Another Gene Shepherd holiday edition for you as we listen now to Gene Shepherd from the Inside Gene Shepherd Show, originally broadcast April 13th, 1968. Here's Gene and here's Easter. getting very smart. And I like to see smart people. Guess who? Oh, yes, you guessed too. So, uh, peekaboo. That's right. It's the Easter Bunny. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Just hand me a carrot and I'll go right out of my bird. Just bring it here for just a moment. Uh, hold on just a minute. Hold it. I'm so excited. Isn't that beautiful? No, I'm, I'm serious now. Listen carefully to this. You won't hear a sound like this very often. Listen to it. item Jews harp and I'm just breaking it in. You know, one of the great musical institutions of America. You know, most people think one of the great that when, when you talk about great musical institutions in America, immediately they think of uh, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center. Whereas, as a matter of fact, among musicians, probably the center of the musical world outside of Union Headquarters is Manny's. <laughs> Manny's Music Shop on 48th Street. I mean, every musician in the world goes there whenever he's in trouble. Let me tell Where do you think Isaac Stern goes when a fat lady sits on a Stradivarius on a bus? Manny's. They'll make it right. And, and Manny's has been looking for me 
for now over eight months for this type of English Jews harp, which is extremely rare and uh, has a subtle and a very flexible tone all of its own. Listen, and I just received it from Danny called me up and he says, hey, this is Danny at Manny's. We got it. And I went over there. Come on, let's break it in here. Come on, let's bring it in there, Herb. <laughs> oh, what a great, what a great feeling! And again, uh, oh, uh, excuse me. Here we have a note. Here it says, "The most extraordinary, dear Shep, the most extraordinary event in my life happened today." That is an opening line that you don't often see on a letter. I repeat, the most extraordinary event in my life happened today, and I just had the right and tell you about it. Now, to understand why this was such a special event, you have to understand the vice principal of our school. He is a large man. In fact, he is a fat man. But not the jolly kind of fat man. Oh, no. He is far from it. He is the kind of man that scares you even to think about him. Well, now, to go on with my story. We were sitting in homeroom, as usual, waiting for the announcements of the day to be broadcast over the public address system by our aforementioned vice principal. We had been warned by our homeroom teacher that if we made noise during the announcements, as we usually do, we would receive office detention. Just then, the PA boomed on. Ah, Brack, ah, please stand by so we may salute our flag. Well, we began to whisper among each other. Remember, don't talk or else you'll get busted. Office detention, man. Well, the homeroom teacher was giving us dirty looks already. After the flag ceremony, we all sat down and waited the announcements quietly. There will be no girls intramural basketball after school today. That's a PA system feedback. There will be no girls intramural basketball after school today. All the boys in our homeroom groaned. The teacher gave us another dirty look because there's nothing we like better than to go and watch girls basketball. You never know. A lot of great things happen during them games. And so the announcements went on with us keeping fairly quiet. The announcements were always and are always basically the same, except for a few very minor daily variations. And then the vice principal said, Thank you, and that is all. Oop! And the PA system went off the air. Immediately we began to talk, our usual talk. Man, he finishes like that every day. I want a drink. Yeah. Uh, hey, do we have any science homework? No. You sure? Yeah. Just then, the PA boomed out again, caught us unawares. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? 
Uh, this is Mr. Gutstop. That's the name of our vice principal. As you see, we have put in another name to protect the guilty. I'll have your attention, please. This is Mr. Gutstop. I have been asked to give a quick announcement. And the announcement is as follows. Your attention, please. Here is the special announcement. Flick lives. Well, Shep, I want to tell you, I'll tell you, I almost flipped. I mean, coming out of that monster, I couldn't believe it. Well, that hit me seriously like a bomb. Of course, all the ignorami just sat back and said, huh, what? Well, what, what does he mean by that, huh? Huh? The ignorami are everywhere. Huh? What does he mean by that, huh? A, he interrupted our important conversation about the science homework and about the Ed Sullivan show just for that? Well, boy, he has got something. I'll tell you, I went through a traumatic experience that is hard to describe. I don't know whether it was the familiarity of the phrase that did it, or the fact that it came from the mouth of our vice principal. I suspect it was a little of both. My heart started beating faster. A tingling sensation went through me. Just then, some brain asks, Hey, who's Flick? Well, before I can answer, a half-wit... <laughs> a half-wit, one of the clutches of the crowd says, You wouldn't understand. Great Scott, the underground struck again. He says... The big brain says, What do you mean I wouldn't understand? I says, Well, you probably wouldn't read his book or understand it if you did. Well, I want to tell you... It changed the whole complexion of my class for me. I'm sitting now in the middle of what appears to be a field of mushrooms and toadstools. And I can't tell which is which. Shepard, am I a toadstool? A poisonous creature in a field of sweet mushrooms? Who really believe the Smothers Brothers are saying it? Huh? I don't know. Come on, let's hear them songs. Let's sing it out. Excuse me a minute while I... I just got to get this thing worked in. Uh, already I can hear this. Oh, Charles, would you please turn that jabberwocky off? I like that young man so much when he tells about his travels in the Mideast. I can't understand. Why doesn't John Gambling give him a good talking to? A good talking to. All together, gang. Let's wait for that day of the good talking to. That's enough, Herbert. I just want to get this thing broken in. This is a very traumatic time for me, you know. I got the Easter thing, and I 
it's all sneaking up on me, and uh, and I uh, might as well get right into it. There's no no sense, you know. Easter, Easter is a is a difficult holiday for a lot of people, and I'm not talking about people who got the week off, you know, for the Easter stick. I'm talking about Easter, Easter. I mean, you know, when you get out of the nitty gritty, when you find yourself among the privet hedges looking for pink eggs, that is Easter. <laughs> I'll tell you. And, uh, and I, I'll never forget the time. What's the matter? Trouble in there? Problems? A little bit? You know? Everything's okay? Fine. You know, I, I was present at one of, the, one, of the, one of the great Easter moments. You, know, you don't hear many people talk about Easter as a holiday. They talk about the grandmothers all gathering around Rockefeller Center, you know, with their new hats, with the flowers sticking out of the top. And, uh, of course, uh, the, the uh, Easter parade... Where uh, thousands of guys have you noticed that the big switch? I read read somewhere that the big switch in the Easter parade now is away from the chicks, and there will be thousands of young men with velvet cherise suits and uh, fluffy shirts and little elf shoes, and uh, they'll all be out there showing their Easter finery. And I'm just so glad all you fellows got everything sewed up nicely, done, and all your shirts all pressed for Easter. It's just going to be so nice, and. Uh, Gee, I wish I could send a bunch of violets to all of you. It just would sort of add so much, you know, with the spring season coming on like that and your your big uh, German silver Maltese cross uh, hanging hanging down there on your clavicle and everything going so good and the little neon sign that you've got in your Easter hat with the with the nest of robins and your and your fluffy hair. Just just I just wish that I could be. However, that's neither here nor there. My, I had this grandmother thing who. Really believe it. a real Easter type granny, and uh, she's a real granny. You know, uh, she's not the she's not the granny type that you see in the uh, in the TV commercials. Have you seen that crowd of grannies that are testing that cake? You seen that commercial which says uh, by special grandmother test, and uh, all of them are sitting around saying, "Why it just tastes like a real homemade, and the chocolate is so nice and smooth." A real granny test. <laughs> well, uh, my grandma was not quite that type of grandmother. She just not quite that type. And uh, she was a genuine grandmother, though. She had, uh, for one thing, she had uh, a great collection of wax fruit. That tells you something about grandmothers. My grandmother, anyway. And she kept her wax fruit in an orange, kind of uh, amber-colored, actually, cut glass bowl. And got that. Now, this cut glass bowl she got one time when she went to the Commodore Theater in Chicago when they were giving away Amber cut glass dinnerware. You know, it says free, free, free gravy bowl this week. And uh, Grandma hit the jackpot. She got a fruit bowl one time. And that fruit bowl remained a, a basic family heirloom in our in our uh, family for years until somebody mercifully dropped it on the kitchen floor. And that ended that family heirloom. It was always, uh, you know, there was a lot, a lot of discussion whether or not this was uh, deliberate or not. And nobody wanted to admit it, but what a monster this dish was. And it was a big sort of a pearline-colored, orange, mottled-colored cut glass that had grapes and, and uh, nymphs and fawns and dryads and all kinds of things running around the side of it. And right in the middle of it, I had this pile of wax fruit, a banana. She had a couple of apples, wax phony apples. She had a phony, you know, a phony pineapple, a little pineapple sticking up there. And she had a couple of phony pears. Now, the phony pears really looked good. They looked like pears almost, see. And we would see this every time me and my kid brother would come over there to visit. Every time we were instructed to visit, we had to go visit Grandma. There was a terrible itch, the itch of, of insane boredom. 
Which, I mean, the kind of boredom. I mean, the kind of boredom. I, it, it's it's hard to describe that kind of boredom. It's the kind that makes your underwear itch and everything. You you just uh, you're mad and bored and bugged and everything. And we would we would sit in the in the dining room. That's the one. Me and my kid brother Nate. My grandmother always thought that what we wanted to do was play checkers. I don't know where grandmothers get the idea that kids like to play checkers. But <laughs> there's a certain kind of kid that does like to play checkers. But me and my kid brother were not that type of kid. And the only kind of checkers we ever played is I would take the black ones and he would take the red ones and then we would throw them at each other. <laughs> he would hide behind one and we'd throw the checkers around. My father, stop, say, stop, you're going to lose the checkers. Well, we would sit there in the dining room table and I remember the great historic day that my kid brother finally reached over into this bowl of, of wax fruit and grabbed a hold of one of those pears and took a big bite out of the middle of it. Just took a bite out of it. And, uh, I don't know whether you've ever bitten into wax fruit. You will find wax fruit is not filled with seeds. It is not filled with fruit. It is filled with what looks like, uh, uh, well, uh, arsenic-flavored cotton batting. And my kid brother spit that stuff out all over the place, and he hid. He, he, took, the, he took the pear that he scared. It was a big bite out of the wax pear. See? He took the pear then, and he hid it upside down. I don't know whether that was ever discovered by my grandmother later in subsequent dustings of the wax fruit. However, uh, that was the kind of grandmother we had, see. And every every holiday, she would go ape. I mean, holiday. Uh, grandmothers love holidays. So we would have uh, we would have a big turkey over at her house on Thanksgiving. And grandmother would always look around just before we were going to tuck into the Thanksgiving dinner. And my kid brother's on one end of the table, I'm on the other. And there's all kinds of uncles and aunts. And Uncle Carl has been sobered up for three days before this. They used to sober him up, put him in the tank about three or four days before a holiday so that the, there wouldn't be the usual trouble. We'd all sit around, and, uh, yeah, he, uh, well, I'll never forget the time Uncle Carl went time in, in a, I shouldn't bring this up, but uh, during an Easter celebration, Uncle Carl apparently uh, had been dried out for three or four days, and it was a little bit too much, and uh, Uncle Carl brought with him a pocket flask, as was later turned out, is when they, when they finally, uh, finally had him in the bedroom stripped and knocked out and everything else, they were wondering where he got the stuff, and he had a pocket flask that was made to look like a book. Have you ever seen one of those? Did you know that you can get a little pocket flask that looks exactly like a book? And I, I hate to tell you this, and I don't want anybody to get mad and say I'm being sacrilegious. It looked like a very important book. I mean, the kind that John Huston made a movie of recently. Remember? And he played Noah out of that book. And it looked like a very important book, and it had gold... You know how they, they, they colored the leaves gold on the outside? had gold and had this, this soft, phony leather-type, uh, just kind of phony leather-type covers. And it had written on it in gold leaf in the front. It, uh, it didn't exactly say that. The words weren't worth the same. The words were something like blah, blah, blah. And it was just a little gold leaf kind of smeared. And if, if you were more than three feet away, you'd swear that Uncle Carl had taken, you know, he'd taken the pledge and was now interested in good works. And he was deeply involved in Ecclesiastes, or maybe uh, the book of Job, you see, would have been more fitting for him. But nevertheless, he had this good book. <laughs> and it was hollow. <laughs> and, 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 and it had a little, the little thing slid back on the top. The gold leaf slid back on the top, and it had a little metal straw that came out of it. You never heard of this little gambit, huh? Why do you think so many old duffers enjoy going to church on Sunday? 
You know, they sit there with, you know, and, and, and they look like they're, they're being very, very, they're being very uh, thoughtful. You see, they're holding it up to them. Mm-hmm. The minister is up there saying, And I say to you, I say as we look deep inside ourselves, and we see sin. Well, the old guy's sitting there seeing he's going, Mm-hmm, amen. And he's got that book. He's going, Whoosh. And uh, every couple of minutes, it, it warms the cockles. Well, this is what happened to Uncle Carl one time. And uh, it was just one of the greatest uh, Thanksgiving, uh, Easter celebrations. Oh, he did it for weeks before they caught him. But this one particular Easter, every time Easter approaches, I get this little funny feeling deep inside of me. And it's about two traumatic experiences that occurred during the celebration of this holiday, which uh, is not generally uh, celebrated this way. At the, I will describe to you as best I can the moment. My grandmother had assembled this crowd of people. And my mother used to say, well, now, after all, she loves to have us over on Easter, so come on, let's go. The old man had gripe, oh, bugged. And uh, my kid brother would immediately throw a fit and land to the day bed and whine for about six hours. He you know how to go to grandmother's house. And... Uh, and so <laughs> we'd all get all dressed up. You know, it's Easter stick. We got all dressed up and we go out, get in the car. My underwear's itching. And uh, Schwartz and Brunner are standing out there watching us go. And off we go to see this thing, you know, the Easter dinner. Well, now, I must explain to you, Easter dinner is traditional in certain families. And uh, my grandmother always believed that we all liked Easter dinner. And uh, nobody ever wants uh, <laughs> And so we did. We, we, every year it was a whole thing. And uh, she would have this ham. It was about 18 pounds. And that's all right. You know, we can do that. And she had these rubber sweet potatoes, which we would always get. You know, there's a, there's a myth around that grandmothers all can cook well. Every time, I, every time I hear these TV commercials and they say, cook the way your grandmother cooked them, forget it. My grandmother made, I'll tell you, I'm serious. My grandmother made sweet potatoes and yams taste like billiard balls that have been fried. And uh, we went through, yeah, and cabbage. She always thought we liked cabbage. Well, she made cabbage. It was very limp. It reminded me... Well, I'll tell you, it felt... It tasted a little bit as if you took the editorial page of the Daily News and boiled it, put a little salt on it. And that's the way the cabbage went. And so we would all gather at the grandmother's house to have this dinner. And my Uncle Carl had been sobered up. And it was terrible. When he got sobered up, he would get pale. Very pale. When he, when he was on the bottle, he was, you know, he was, he was healthy. <laughs> and he looked real, see? But when he was sobered up, he'd get very white-looking, very pale, and his eyes would be kind of uh, red, and, and uh, he would, uh, especially early in the morning, and, and uh, Easter is always early in the morning. In fact, all day Easter is early in the morning. And so we'd be over there at 3 o'clock in the morning, and Uncle Carl is sitting there with his eyes red, and uh, his wife, Aunt Min, is sitting next to him, and she's holding him up a little bit. Once in a while, he'd, he'd talk a little bit under his breath, and he had a great vocabulary, by the way. It was about four words. And um, he would use them different times, different ways. And uh, my old man, sitting across from him, and uh, he, he was bugged. His hair is combed. My father would comb his hair four times a year. And uh, his hair would be combed. Just, this is grandmother. See, the whole thing is for Easter. And uh, my grandmother used to come up with these great things, like, for example, uh, before Thanksgiving dinner, which was always at her house, she would say, well, now... Let's all, for a minute, think of the things that we are thankful for. And this surly mob would look around. <laughs> things to be thankful for. You know, uh, Uncle Carl is sober again. We think about that. And uh, 
Cousin Buddy has not shot his sister yet. We think about that. Uncle Tom is out of jail. We think about that. These are all things to be thankful for. <laughs> he was a bootlegger uncle. And everybody thinks I'm making this up. Don't you think that bootleggers have nephews, friends? Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, you keep, you keep reading in the paper about these mafia guys? Well, you know, somewhere there's a guy, just an ordinary kid walking around, who says, my, oh, Joe Bananas, that's my uncle. <laughs> Nobody believes him. <laughs> just get funny with him one day, and you'll, you'll find out how right it is, you know. Uncle Joe arrives and wipes out the schoolyard. That's the end of it. However, uh, my uncle, he's out of jail, so everybody's happy. And I remember this one specific traumatic moment that I had that missed one particular... Speaking of traumatic moments, friends, this is W.O.R., speaking of grandmothers. And uh, <laughs> we're uh, Radio Free Broadway here. And they, you know, what the hell, you just do it the best you can. And uh, you pick them up, you lose them. And it's Easter... So you got to be nice to people. And uh, you got to think good thoughts, clean thoughts, and one thing or another. But uh, I can't help but remember this one terrible, fantastic moment at my grandmother's house when she varied the routine, my grandmother. And I'm about... Uh, I'm very... very uh, there are certain ages. I, I don't think there's any age that is not a sensitive age. You know, there's a myth that only certain ages are sensitive. Obviously, other ages are insensitive. I have never... This is a very shaky proposition and has not yet been proved to me. As a matter of fact, I suspect that the older a person gets, the more sensitive they get. That, uh, that a five, five-year-old kid is about as sensitive as a ball of silly putty. I do not believe in the, in the current myth of the sensitivity of children. Uh, no, I, 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 I go along with William Golding on this. I think, I think that the child is about as sensitive as a hard-boiled egg that's seven weeks old. He is not sensitive. You learn this later on. And so uh, this particular, uh, this particular uh, Easter celebration started out in a routine way. I'm sitting there, and my cousin Merle is sitting next to me. By the way, my cousin Merle, um, if, for those of you who are interested, uh, it, it was a dead ringer for Bob Dylan. Well, actually, Bob Dylan was a dead ringer for my cousin Merle, to be honest with you. And uh, we all sat around this table, and... It's Easter, and the watery light is coming through, as it always does on the south side of Chicago on Easter. It's coming through the Venetian blinds. You can hear the aphids walking up and down the fern plant. My grandmother always had she had a big thing on ferns, and all of her life she fought aphids, and the, the aphids are walking up. Now, she let them go on Easter. There was kind of a moratorium on aphids, and it's Easter. So they're walking up and down. You can hear the sink going in the next room. It's always hot. Grandmothers insist on houses being hot. And uh, you could hear the radiators going shh, and the water squirting out the side of it. And my grandfather sitting, he, he paid no attention to anything. My grandfather, I had the feeling once in a while, would look around the table and uh, never said it. Never ever said really much of anything, except he would look around and you could just see it in his eyes just once in a while. Look what I did. This great motley herd. <laughs> You know, you, you had a vague sense that, that there are many grandfathers and great-grandfathers who look around, you know, that they, they, they one, one afternoon someplace, uh, just a, a moment of uh, terrible recklessness, and who knows what, down at the drugstore, for a little bottle of sassafarilla, and he met this girl, and the next thing you know, this incredible logarithmic atomic reaction created started that would go for 18 centuries. You know? <laughs> 
can you imagine some guy five, five generations back who started the whole thing that led to Hitler? <laughs> World War II and the whole bit, you know. You, you, so you never know what you're going to start in this world. And I had a feeling that my grandfather, once in a while, looking around the table at things like Easter and Thanksgiving, never said anything. He just sat there and looked around. And he'd wear a tie. He was a very distinguished type, very quiet. He would look around, and he had this look occasionally. He was very literate. That can hurt you. He was very literate. He, he thought things, and he, he read things, and he spoke about nine languages. And to look around at this motley herd must have given him pause to consider. And my grandmother never knew this, of course. She was, she was part of the whole scene, finding the, finding the aphids and finding the ferns and, and the, keeping the kitchen clean and keeping the wax fruit dusted and the whole bit. And her, her great crowd of, of nieces and nephews and, and grandchildren and all that great motley herd would gather. And we would sit. And I, nobody ever mentioned. My mother, for example, had five sisters. And I never heard once. One sister said to the other sister, Oh, what a drag. Going for that. <laughs> Everyone pretended they liked it. So we'd all be sitting there. And there would be the ham out there. And we'd start eating away. My grandmother would say, Isn't that nice? Now we'll all break our Easter eggs. Well, she would, she would come out with the Easter eggs. Well, now these Easter eggs had things like Donald Duck on the side. They had things like uh, Mickey Mouse and so on. And I remember one time my cousin Buddy took two Easter eggs... And uh, he's sitting there at the, at the table. And my grandmother had passed around a big bowl of Easter eggs, which she got, by the way, and I'll, I'll tell you how, how uh, history has a tendency to continue in a long skein. Have you heard recently of these fires in these department stores? Well, have you ever heard of the department store called Weebolts? It was, it was uh, uh, more of these uh, newscasters locally are mispronouncing it, calling it Weebolts. I heard one guy say Carson Pyrie and Scott Company which is ridiculous. That's like uh, referring to Macy's as a Massey's department store. It just ain't. And so Weebolts was my grandmother's favorite department store. She always went to Weebolts. She believed in Weebolts the way other people believe in, oh, Christian science, for example. And, uh, you know, Weebolts was a non-denominational church for her. She would go there and up and down the elevator, and especially on Weebolts Dollar Day. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for weeks there would be a whole thing, you know, uh, Dollar Day was one big day that Weebolts always had where everything that ordinarily sold for 49 cents went for a buck. And thousands of people stood in line for, for days to get to this counter where they could buy this stuff, this junk. Well, uh, my grandmother had one, one Easter. And this was when faith sometimes can crumble. It can crumble over little things. You know, most people wonder, you know, this, all these theological arguments, why, why, the, why God is dead and the whole principle. These are the kind of things that make it happen. My grandmother, all of her life, believed in Weebolts. And one Easter, she bought two dozen eggs from Weebolts that were already beautifully colored and had all kinds of little striped things on them, little birds all over the side, and had sparrows and had little elves and junk running all over them. Oh, little Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and all the whole, you know, all of it, see. And uh, she got these eggs. And they were beautiful. and had a great big bowl, two dozen eggs. And she had them right in the middle of the dinner table, and, of course, these were for the kids. And she says, now, uh, I'm so pleased. I, this is the first time this year that I didn't color Easter eggs myself. It's so much trouble, you know, and, and uh, we get it all over the kitchen, and they had these beautiful Easter eggs on sale at Weebo's, and they're especially colored, and I know that you all will like... Well, my cousin Buddy grabbed two Easter eggs, <laughs> and uh, one of them was pink, the other one was blue, and he grabbed one in each hand, 
And he says, wow, Easter eggs, wow. And he goes, pow. And there was a clop. It went just clop. And squirting high up in the air and all over his pants, all over about five kids and my Aunt Min, was egg yolk. Rich, ripe, beautiful, yellow, drippy egg yolk. Have you ever heard, friends, of getting unboiled egg? They never once said they were boiled. They just said they were colored. We had two dozen, <laughs> and they were all over the table. Well, my, my grandma, <laughs> she gave a shout, you know, <laughs> and all over her Easter decorations and everything was egg yolk and crud. And it was the begin- that was the beginning of, of, the, of what we call today, theologically, the loss of faith. Once you begin to lose faith in wee bolts, the Easter bunny goes next. And after the Easter bunny, who knows where it will stop? Well, on this particular occasion, though, that was my own traumatic experience. It's a terrible... I, I don't even like to talk about it now. It's just awful. Are you all ready for a sickening story, gang? And I might as well warn you, nice little old ladies out there with light blue stationery, you get out your green ink and you can start writing your letter right now to the management. They'll fire me by Monday because you were angry, right? Okay. I'll just let you have that little dream. As a matter of fact, if there's any firing going on around here, I'll fire the management. Do you hear that? Okay. Do you hear that? I could see Jim McAleer now hiding under the rug out there in suburbia there. Hear that? Smart guy. Well, all right. I'm a kid, see. We've ridden in the Oldsmobile now for about 19 hours on the way to see Grandmother. The sun is coming down. My underwear is itching. I'm bugged. My kid brother's whining. He's bugged. His nose is running. He's running down on his shoes. Okay? My father's sitting in the front seat there of the car driving along, and he is so bugged. Now, there, were certain, there are certain things that will make a man exceedingly on the muscle. And one of those things is to get a bad shave. Now, women don't know about this. They, they just don't understand what it's like. And, and you can't explain it, can you, Herb? There is no way to know why, you're, why you do and when you're going to get a bad shave. You can have, you know, brand new razor blade. You put it in. And uh, you've got, you got a great big can of this brand new shaving cream. You feel great. You know, the water comes out hot and everything. Now, women don't know about it. And they never mention this in, in the shaving commercials. Have you notice how fun it is to shave in the commercials? These guys say, oh, wow, it's lime. Oh, man, oh, wow, we well, a new kick in shaving. Friend, I ain't even found the first kick in shaving much less the new kick in shaving. It is all fun and yard wide. Well, the old man, I'll tell you one thing about getting a bad shave. You can't explain it. And you start shaving, but you know the instant you start, right, Herb? It's going to be a rotten shave. That's a bad day. You go, ah! Oh, you, ah. Then you start, what's the matter with this blade? Then you run some more water in it. Eh. You say, holy smokes, what a rotten blade. Then you take out the blade, you put in a new one, another one. It's a brand new one. It's nice and blue and shiny. Put some hot water on it. You go, Ugh! and the blood squirts out in a long, thin trickle over the mirror. Right? Well, then you start to fake it. See, you say, I'm going to go real light. So you start going real light, and then you feel that there's stubble. It's getting worse instead of better. But actually, you get more stubbly as you shave. So then you start putting it a little harder. Then, another shot. Well, the old man had gotten a real bad shave. It was one of those days. You could see him sitting up there in the front. He's driving while he's got this little wad of toilet paper on his chin with the blood all over it, see. And he's mad. You could smell his aqua velva. And, uh, that mingled with the, with the leaky valves and the, 
in the Oldsmobile, and we also had a bad muffler, and the gas was coming out of the bottom of the car, you know, mingled with the Aqua Velva. He, also, he used to switch between Aqua Velva and Menins. And uh, he used to get this Menins. It said that they had a, they had a great slogan, which I'm, which I'm sorry they gave up. They had a great slogan on the Menin bottle. Do you remember what it was? They still hint at it in their ads. A great slogan. It says Menins, aftershave lotion, and the slogan was... What was it? I'll award the brass figgy with brown. This is true Americana, friends. Not trivia. This is anything but trivia. It's important. Because it actually did it. As a matter of fact, I wonder how many logarithmic relationships that later ended in giant dynasties and gang wars all over Chicago were the result of Menon's aftershave cream. What was their slogan? Don't you remember that? It wows the ladies. <laughs> Isn't that a great expression? It wows the ladies. Well, it did. I mean, the old man, you know, he put put this men and stuff on there, and my mother'd get bugged. He'd go to work, you know, he'd wow the entire steno pool <laughs> with his men and after shave lotion. You know. <laughs> sure did, man. Well, uh, that was another story that led to gunfire later on. However, uh, we're on we're on our way to Grammys, you know, the, the Oldsmobile. Our Oldsmobile was about maybe eight hand. And uh, it had developed a resonant frequency hum. Now, there's a certain kind of car which at a certain point vibrates inside, but at a, such a, it's like a wearing blender uh, running at, uh, let's say, medium carrot mashing speed. And uh, the wearing blender in this car would go, and it's going along. Whenever you would talk, you would say something. You'd hear my mother say, well, and it blends in with the roar of the car and the smoke coming up out of the out of the floor and the old man's aqua velva and uh, you could see the little wad of paper on his chin and uh, his hair is combed and my kid brother is whining and we are on our way to an Easter celebration. Little did I realize it was about to be a traumatic moment which to this day I have never forgotten. In fact, I am walking past one of these big candy stores right on Fifth Avenue just a few hours ago and right in the window is the same crummy thing that caused this unbelievable moment. I almost busted the window by kicking it in. Going in and said, get that out of the window, you clowns. Terrible scene. Because some kid is liable to blow his stack when this happens to him. And it does. We've gone through the whole ritual now. You got it? Of Easter. We've had the ham. We've had the rubber yams. We've had the, uh, we've had the cabbage that tastes like the Daily News. That's the weekend daily news, which is the worst one. You know, the one with the big editorial is uh, the, the big editorial is an advice to Sophia Lauren or something like that. And uh, we've gone through uh, well another thing she made. She made always had mashed potatoes. We've had the mashed potatoes, which taste a little like uh, LePage's paste, the white kind. And the grandmother sitting there in her flowered dress, her new Easter dress. My aunt Min is having trouble with her teeth. She had denture problems all the time. My Uncle Carl is making this a real good Easter for Uncle Carl. He's doing he's doing pretty good. He's eating now. And uh, he's sitting over there. Uncle Al is making... He always Uncle Al had the joke. Uncle Al was my musician uncle. And uh, after about two-thirds of a meal, you could see all musicians, whenever they think of eating, they always think of a Chinese joint uh, or and uh, a ravioli. They, they go for Italian food. I don't know what it is with the Italians or the pizzas and, and the musicians. Anyway, he's sitting about halfway through and he starts telling a dirty joke. 
and he stops in the middle of it, remembers where he is. My grandfather's looking around the table at the, at the great thing that he has spawned. And uh, my cousin Merle was complaining. She never ate. My cousin Merle, as far as I know, is one of the very few human beings, in fact, one of the very few organic organisms uh, that I know of that was able to subsist entirely on nothing. She did not eat, and to this day, as far as I know, does not eat. Refuses to eat everything. She's never... It, 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 no matter what you serve, my, my Aunt Clara, who was her mother, would say, well, you know, Merle doesn't like uh, fig newtons. No one ever found what Merle liked. So Merle never ate. She just sat there and complained, had thick glasses, and whined a lot. She reminded me very much of Bob Dylan. And, uh, you know, things were just going on. It was, it was up to this point, a routine Easter ritual. And the eggs were out on the table, a couple of Easter bunnies in the corner, Easter basket with one of those uh, chocolate eggs. You know how they make this? They have a special chocolate they use for Easter. It's got a heavy wax content. And, you know, wax, chocolate eggs. And the, we're just sitting there, calmly minding our own business. And the, I'm eating my ham, a little realizing that I'm about to have one of those moments which will go down in my own personal history and which caused a traumatic incident. When the grandmother got up, we finished our Easter meal now. She says, and now I have a real surprise for you. A surprise. Well, okay. You know, it immediately conjures up... Uh, Images of pineapple upside down cake, various other goodies. Uh, <laughs> my grandmother had pineapple upside down cake from time to time that was vulcanized. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, it's you know, it's a, you know, you've had pineapple upside down cake. Well, hers was vulcanized. It was very hard to chew. It didn't. It was kind of a tasted a little bit like pineapple rubber. And so she goes out into the kitchen, swinging door, and uh, there was a sort of a moment. Of, uh, of anticipation, and then the door swings open, and out comes Grandmother. And she is carrying a large tray. And on the tray is a cake. Now, are you ready, gentlemen? It is a cake. But it is a cake that is made in the exact reproduction of a lamb. Have you seen those? You haven't. Well, you have a lot to learn in this world. It is a cake that has been baked like a lamb, and the lamb is sitting there. Sort of, you know how lambs, do they sit, do they lay? Well, you know, you know how a lamb is. He's just sitting there lambing, you know, whatever they're doing. And uh, he's got a little blue ribbon around his neck. And he's got white icing all over. And it's a lamb. It's a real lamb. It's the feet and the whole bit, see? He's got white icing, little blue ribbon, and he's got two little round pink things for eyes. Two little round candy, you know what they call red hots? These are two little round pink babies for eyes. And his fur, or the wool of this lamb, is made of shredded coconut. And it's beautiful. There's a lamb, see? She brings the lamb out. Well, now, this scored instantly with the kids. All the kids, wow! You know, uh, uh, Uncle Carl, you could hear Uncle Carl groan a little bit. You know, he, he wasn't entirely over his, his, you know, his latest debauch. And uh, here comes this lamb out. And so grandmother brings the lamb in. And everybody's looking at... And she says, isn't this beautiful? She says, I bought at Weebo's the cake pan that you, you you just make this cake. You make it ordinary. My mother says, how do you make it? She says, well, you make an ordinary cake batter, and you use this lamb cake 
pan, which I received. You bought it. I bought it at Weebolts. It was on sale. And you make two halves of this lamb, and then you take it out of the cake pan, and you put icing between the two, and then you put them together, and you have a lamb. And then you put on icing over it, and it's a beautiful... Isn't this just lovely? You can get turkey cakes, too. Well, you know. <laughs> and so, so the whole family, gee, it's a lamb. And, I, and it was so lifelike. That's what was, what was you know, when they, right away that uh, scored with all the kids. It really looked like a lamb. It had little eyes. And it had all over it. It had the fur there made out of uh, shredded coconut. It had a little tail sticking out of the back there. His feet. And this lamb looked very peaceful and very, you know, how, you know how a lamb looks, but it's a big one. See, it's about, uh, oh, maybe two feet across. Big, big lamb. And she puts it right in the middle of the table. Like my aunt, Glenn, my aunt. Clara, my Aunt Kate, they have cleared away the table and all the pieces of the lamb, or the ham, and all the junk is gone now. And right in the middle of the table, she puts the lamb. And uh, my grandfather's sitting there with a big coffee pot next to him. He had the electric percolator that's made the coffee. Boy, you should have seen that thing once in a while. The top would fly out that baby once in a great while. When you'd set it to medium strong, that thing would get so strong, I think it was like a Mount Vesuvius. It would just shoot the stuff right out. So he's pouring the coffee. And everybody's waiting for the lamb. And with that, my grandmother says, You know, I've decided that I'm... Uh, I've decided who has been the best boy during the whole year. That's a typical grandmother ploy. And they're always saying, now, Who's the nicest one today? Who's my favorite grandchild? All that stuff. She says, And now I've decided that the nicest boy today, in fact, he's the nicest grandchild I have, at this time, it's Jeannie. Jeannie, I'm it. Me, I'm the nicest one. <laughs> you know, that's a, what a compliment that is. Well, my uh, my cousin Buddy, you could hear this snort. Buddy knew better, see? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Poor old Grammy. She didn't see anything. She had these rimless glasses, you know, that were taped always around the ears. And so, you know, she didn't know. You could have been setting fire to the, to the plants, and she wouldn't have known it, you know. She says, he's been the nicest one this year, and now I'm going to give him his reward. My reward. Now, what is this? And so Cousin Merle sits up for the first time, and you know, looks around, my cousin Buddy, my cousin my cousin Chuck and Lyle, the whole crowd, you know, they look. But that grandmother has this knife. She's a big, beautiful cake knife. You know, the kind that you use to serve cakes? Big flat blade. She's this big, that was the presentation set. It's a souvenir of the World's Fair on a handle. So she's got this big, beautiful cake knife. And she goes, takes the, 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 the lamb, which is on this platter, and she brings it over. I do not know whether I can go on with this, friends. I do not know whether I can go on with this. No, I'm serious. No, no. This, when you're dealing with a traumatic experience, any good psychologist can tell you that it is almost impossible to approach unless it's under very, very felicitous circumstances to approach the actual nub of the traumatic experience. Now, I want reassurances from all of you out there that, one, you aren't going to tell anybody. Keep it to yourself. And two, don't laugh. Because if there's anything that that really kills you, it's when you tell somebody about this awful thing that happens to you, and then they flip and laugh and fall down the air chute, you know, and their shoe falls off and all that. 
I do not want any laughing, because this is serious. And uh, you will find out how serious it is when I tell you. You're liable to be having a traumatic experience tonight and not knowing it, and it's coming out of that crummy Japanese transistor radio of yours. You know, I can see you ten years from now laying on a couch someplace, and you're trying to get at the nub of it, and one night you say, I know, oh yeah, I know, I was listening to the radio that Saturday night, and all of a sudden it came out, oh, I can't face it. Be careful now. I'm sitting at the table, innocent as the driven snow. Well, innocent. Well, I'm sitting at the table. Okay, let's get back on it. Let's get to the nitty-gritty here. I'm sitting at the table, all right? I don't want to... I don't... No, no. When, you, when you're approaching a moment of truth, you've got to be truthful. You can't fool around with that. So I'm sitting at the table, all right? And um, my grandmother announces that I'm the best boy. With that... My cousin Buddy snorts. My cousin Chuck, he just looks at me, winks broadly with both eyes and sniffed. My cousin Merle kicked me under the table. My kid brother just continued to whine because he had not made contact with any of us for the last five minutes ever since my mother made him finish all of his cabbage. And he's, that flipped him out. And so now we're all sitting around waiting for the reward. Grandmother brings it around, puts the platter right in front of me. Now, that's, the, that's important. Right smack in front of me. And each one of us had our little plate for the cake in front of us. You know, it's empty. Little plate, little fork, and a little spoon, and a glass of milk for the kids. Uh, coffee for the adult types. Coffee with something else in it for Uncle Carl, who had slipped something in his. We're sitting there. My grandfather now is sort of halfway in limbo. He's drifted off into the never-never land that grandfathers live in. And uh, he's no longer with us. And I am looking down at the lamb. And it is looking up at me. I repeat, I am looking down at the lamb. It is looking up at me. My grandmother's making twittering, clucking noises behind me with her knife. And she says, and now, because Jeannie has been such a good boy, she takes that knife. And with one fell swoop, decapitates the lamb. Cuts his little head right off. Cuts his little head right off, I repeat. It's two little eyeballs looking right up at me with its little blue ribbon around its neck. Cuts it right off, boom, like that. And puts its head right on my plate. That little old lamb looked up at me. One eye was a little crooked, I noticed. And wouldn't yours be if you got your head lopped off? I looked down at the lamb. My grandmother says, isn't that nice? That's for being such a good boy. And she went to the next one, gave him some indiscriminate piece of the lamb, gave somebody else a foot, somebody got a little chunk of the tail, and I'm looking down at that lamb, these two eyeballs staring up at me. I will never forget the look in the eye of that lamb. For one thing, he looked a little surprised. Then he also looked a little... Well, 
chagrined is a kind of weak word, but that's the only word that fits. He looked as if he had expected it all along. And it happened. In addition to that, he looked vaguely, accusingly at me. Like, you were the good boy. That's why it happened. And you know, ever since that time, you can't escape your earlier origins. Ever since that time, whenever I find myself tending towards becoming a good boy, I fight it like mad. I have never been a good boy since. Every time... And you know, I went past that candy store and that lamb looked out at me right on Fifth Avenue. I had this terrible urge to go and kick that window in. Go in and warn these guys what they're setting up the world for. I suspect that Hitler himself one time was served... But I don't want to busy. This is mere supposition. Mere supposition. And so the next time I am invited to an Easter party, invited to go look for them Easter eggs, go around on my hands and knees in the privet hedges, looking for Donald Ducks, and waiting for the Easter... By the way, friends, you're right. You're wondering who this is you're listening to? <laughs> it's the Easter Bunny. Hi, <laughs> George. Easter Bunny? You just hang loose... Keep your knees ready to jump. You never know which way it's going to go. It'll work out, right? There you have it, friends. Gene Shepard. Inside Gene Shepard is the name of the program from April 13th, 1968. A special Easter show for you here on Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. I am your humble host, wishing you all a very happy Easter. Till next time, friends, so long for now. Goodbye, everybody.